0: Well, shalom. Uh, good to be here. Um, I, uh, though some of you, I might not be familiar to some of you, uh, Grace Bible Church is very familiar to me and to my wife, Jeannie. Um, we have been uh, friends of the church and supported by the congregation here as your missionaries with uh, Jews for Jesus, uh, going back to uh mid-1980s. Uh, And when I think of Grace Bible Church, I uh, think of your faithfulness over all of these years, and uh, I think of your church as a church where, uh, in a sense, we have grown up. My family, my wife and I, and our children uh, have grown up with you, and uh, I am getting old with you. Uh, You know, when I first came here, and the first time I shared, probably back in close to 1985, I was a young guy. (laughs) <laughs> and now it's uh, 2009, and I say, oh my God, you know, um, uh, but uh, nobody who I know here has gotten older, I don't know how that is, I, but uh, when we first came and uh, were sharing, I was the director of our Jews for Jesus work in San Francisco, our uh, evangelism, and I remember those years uh, going throughout the Bay Area, just doing all kinds of evangelism and outreach to the Jewish people. Uh, throughout the Bay Area and how exciting that was. Uh, Yesterday I was driving by in uh, Haight Haight Street, up by Haight-Ashbury and Masonic in the city, and was so excited to see so many people out on the street, young people, weird people, uh, and saying, wow, if I were here uh, again Saturday, that would be the place to be. And, you know, there's a Union Street Festival going on today in San Francisco, and Say, ah, those are the places we used to do evangelism when I was here, and I uh, loved it. Um, and back in uh, 1994, uh, Jews for Jesus uh, asked my wife and I to move to Israel and to take up citizenship there. And so, since 1994, uh, Jeannie and I and our, you know, have been living in Israel. We're citizens, and uh, we've raised our children there. You know, both our sons, Daniel and Gabi, who uh, some of you who follow the letters that we send to the church and updates I've uh, fo- followed them uh, through their uh, time in the Israeli army and uh, you know they're uh, they're moving into ministry now and uh, so it's been very exciting uh, to be a part of your family and uh, the church family here at Grace uh, Bible Church and uh, I never get directions right when I come here and always go up Jefferson and not not on uh, Upton and Never, and it happened today too. You know, as many times as I've been here, always go the same wrong way and do the big loop around, but none the worse for it. Um, you know, so it's good to good to be here, and I've got some more things to share about uh, the exciting things that are happening in our Jews for Jesus ministry uh, in Israel. As uh, Pastor uh, Converse said, you have the card. You know, I'll encourage you to tear off the two sections of the card. Keep the prayer card, tuck it away in your Bible so that you can pray for us. And um, the other card you'll be able to turn into me at the table. Um, This is so you get our Jews for Jesus newsletter and you keep updated yourself. We try to keep the church updated, but um, it's good to get the stuff at home as well. So uh, take care of that. Uh, That'll be something important um, for me as it helps us to keep in touch with you uh, on a personal level and to get to know you better. Um, you know, when I was uh, thinking of uh, what to share in a message that has been on my heart uh, of late, um, it's a message um, you know, that uh, comes from uh, Ezekiel uh, chapter 3, and, and it's about watchmen uh, on the walls, and I'll read the passage in a few moments. But, you know, when we think about watchmen uh, on the walls in these days of heightened security, you know, there seems to be watchmen and uh, uh, security cameras all over the place uh, watching all kinds of things. Um, And, you know, we we definitely live in a heightened age of uh, security and uh, the sense of watchfulness but there are those people, uh, particularly in the military, who sit at computer consoles um, in bunkers buried far beneath the earth. And and you know when we think of uh, security and the people who really are the watchmen for our day, um, you know uh, even though I've worked a stint as a security guard in a shopping mall years ago. Um, it was not uh, one of the safest moments in security guard history. Uh, <laughs> it was actually kind of frightening that uh, you know, they, they left me in charge of a security mall, uh, a shopping mall, a security guard. But when we think of uh, the real security work, as I said, I, I think of uh, those men and women who serve in the armed forces, who are sitting in bunkers, uh, you know. Uh, hundreds of feet beneath the earth, in concrete bunkers, looking at computer consoles and you know the the job of security of a watchman in uh, whether it 's in modern day technology watching a in a bunker somewhere buried in the beneath the earth or in the olden days standing on a guard post, basically the work of a of a watchman uh... is boring and it's quiet and the wise watchman wants a quiet watch. A good watch is a quiet watch. A good watch is a time when you start your post and you got your thermos of coffee um, and uh... whatever else you will do to keep occupied Um, and at the end of that shift, whether it's a four-hour shift or an eight-hour shift um, the coffee is finished. You did your check-throughs. And you go home. Quiet, bored, and at peace. Um, but maybe with the sense that you did your job on the post. And I was thinking recently, um, you know, the uh, North Korea shot uh, a test missile and then uh, exploded a nuclear device. And I was thinking about those watchmen uh, at their security council, at their council, their uh, computer screens, um, you know, and I was thinking of a watchman who went to work, you know, some young uh, Air Force uh, officer who was at his post uh, watching the councils and, you know, went into work that day, you know, with all the proper warnings and, you know, postings of what's going on and, you uh, you know, the rumblings that you know, North Korea might be launching a test missile. And then all of a sudden I picture this, this young uh, Air Force lieutenant and all of a sudden on their screen comes up a missile alert. And I think of that those moments, those seconds that transpire, transpire for that watchman when all of a sudden their screens light up. And after a few brief seconds, where they've done their testing, and they know that this is not a computer malfunction, and then they get the warning that this is not a test, a drill, but it's a live missile in the air. And I'm sure within seconds, that officer is communicating with their commander further up the chain that we have a missile launch, confirmed missile launch, and... The alarms and uh, the warning that that generates or gets generated from that council of of, uh, a particular officer and then all of a sudden streams of other officers and other commanders and colonels and generals and National Security Council all getting alerted um, of this missile launch. And half of the world all of a sudden on edge. Of their, the edge of their seats and counter orders being given, um, uh, wh- how to react, all within seconds. I, I've never worked in that environment, um, but I've, uh, have an understanding of how these things work. Within seconds, alert after alert and then a counter alert and then defense systems being activated and offensive missile systems being activated. And then they see that it's a test, and that the missile trajectory uh, is not going to bring harm, uh, not to South Korea, not to Alaska, not to Japan, um, and not to anywhere in particular. And I think of after those harrowing moments of that Air Force officer, or enlisted man, or woman who was at their post, I think when they go home after that shift, they breathe a sigh of relief, knowing that they did their job um, as a watchman, and that the peace was kept, and that there wasn't a series of missile launches and attacks that were triggered by that whole procedure. And that, my friends, is the job of a watchman, one who sits at their post and their intent is to tell if there is an impending attack. And as I said, today's watchmen more often don't sit at uh, guard posts, um, but are down in some bunkers somewhere. And I know Israel has plenty of these watchmen you know, buried in bunkers, uh, keeping an eye on things. And we're glad for those uh, men and women in the armed forces who uh, take on this job Um, and we're glad that when those jobs are done safely, uh, there is peace. But I want to talk this morning about another watchman, Um, and in Ezekiel chapter 3, we read of the call to duty of another watchman, the prophet Ezekiel. And we read of what he was called to watch. And we read of our job as watchmen as well. But in Ezekiel chapter 3 verse uh, 16. We read of his initial calling. Uh, God, uh, by way of context, had been speaking to the prophet and preparing him. And then it says, the word of the Lord came to the prophet. At the end of the seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning. When I say to a wicked man, you shall surely die. And you did not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life. The wicked man will die for his sins and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do not warn the wicked man and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his evil ways, he will die for his sins, but you will be, have saved yourself. And again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before him, he will die. Since you did not warn him, he will die for his sins. The righteous things he did will not be remembered, and I will hold you accountable for his blood." But if you do warn the righteous man not to sin and he does not sin, he will surely live because he took warning and you have saved yourself. Let me have a word of prayer. Father God, as we consider your word this morning, I pray that we will hear your word and be doers of your word. Help us, Father, to hear uh, how you would instruct us this morning, for I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel was a uh, unique uh, man in the history of uh, God and in the history of prophets, and he maintained a very interesting uh, post as one called to be a watchman. Uh, Ezekiel was uh, an Israelite uh, of the priestly family, the priestly descent, and his family and uh, Descendants were some of the first ones carried away by the Babylonians uh, into the exile. And they were brought together to uh, Babylon in an isolated community. Um, They experienced Ezekiel and uh, his uh, immediate family, the horror of the destruction of Jerusalem and the horror of being carried away thousands of miles into exile. Um, with no hope, with no future, and just the fear and the trauma of being refugees uh, and survivors carried away. And it was there in uh, Babylon, by the shores of the river, that Ezekiel and his family and community as priests were struggling to seek the Lord And to find how will we live. Because remember the prophet Jeremiah and the others prophesied judgment on Israel. And the judgment came um, with a harsh and mighty act. The judgment that fell upon Jerusalem and Israel and the destruction of the temple and the slaughter of tens of thousands of Jewish people was the experience of Ezekiel. That's why uh, I love the song, These Are the Days of Elijah, um, and that these are the days of Ezekiel. But I must confess, um, I, I'm always a little troubled by the song because when I think of the days of Ezekiel, uh, read the chapters around here, these were terrible days of judgment. Um, you know, later when he prophesies about the valley of the dry bones, Um, you know, we have a little bit more optimistic picture but the picture is that Israel had been destroyed, the nation almost totally and there were just bones scattered and destruction all over Um, and it's hard to be an optimist in the midst of a valley of dry bones (laughs) you try it (laughs) it's hard for me to be an optimist uh, during current economic downturns and just driving here and seeing um, uh, car lots vacant you know uh, you know it's hard to be an optimist these days but uh, if you lived after the destruction of your nation and and you see bad v- visions of valleys of dry bones of dead people uh, it's hard to sing a happy song <laughs> I don't know if that's the melody that Ezekiel would have chose for his songs yeah. these are the days <laughs> Um, but uh, we sing that song, and I love that song, uh, and I love the melody, uh, and I love the hopefulness of it. But this was Ezekiel's uh, days and visions, um, and, and it was very difficult. The role of a watchman, as I already began to say, is one who stands at a post to call out impending uh, uh, an enemy approaching calling out a pending attack upon a people, upon a nation. Um, A watchman, whether they're watching uh, a computer console to see if uh, uh, enemy missiles are approaching, or a watchman who looks at a console, these days a computer console, to make sure that the nuclear reactor is working right, or uh, whatever thing they're monitoring is working right, uh, you want them to be alert. Uh, You want them to be prepared to call out if things are not working, going well. And in ancient times, they had the same things. And uh, if you ever get a chance to come to Israel and call me, uh, I'll take you to some of the uh, ancient uh, cities and outposts and guard posts and maybe Pastor and Mrs. Converse, you saw some of those places on your trip. But from some of the high points in Israel where the ancient cities were, you could see approaching armies, you know, for at least 40 miles away. Um, And one place in particular I know of, uh, near the coast, for almost, you know, almost a hundred mile radius, you could see whether enemies were approaching from the north uh, or south. Um, And people would stay there and would watch out. So you were to call out uh, if there was trouble. And they usually called out with the sound of the shofar, the trumpet, or they would make signal fires uh, that would be transferred from city to city to say a warning, yes, something is coming. And when people saw those warnings, uh, they were scared but appreciative to be annoyed by, um, you know, uh, warnings. Um, uh, About a year and a half ago, I was in the Midwest, Actually, in Kentucky, not the Midwest. And um, I was watching TV, and they, they gave, were giving hor- tornado uh, warnings on the uh, TV and not being familiar with where I was and not being familiar with the whole system of tornado warnings. Uh, I was kind of staying awake, and all of a sudden, you know, about 1 a.m., I heard uh, a siren go off, an air raid siren, and um, didn't quite know what to do, so I figured I'll just stay put. But I knew my roommates um, uh, were all from uh, India and from uh, Africa. That they wouldn't be aware of what the sirens were. And I said, you know what? I better keep a little extra alert because if something's coming, maybe I can wake them up and tell them to get down to the to the bathroom. Uh, you know, and we can all jump into the bathtub together and <laughs> cover our heads. Uh, you know, and. Um, the siren went and nothing happened, and the next morning they said to me, wow, that was really annoying. I said, what's that? They said, uh, we heard an alarm, a siren go off at 1 o'clock in the morning. What was that about? <laughs> I said, <laughs> said, that was a warning siren, that there was a hurricane, tornado coming. You know. So when you hear a warning, um, you're not really annoyed if you know it's a valid warning, you know, are you? Um, you know don't you wish there were earthquake sirens you know yesterday I took I came flew in from Israel and I had uh, one of our young men from Israel was with me and I was telling him about California earthquakes and whatnot and uh, last night I'm sitting yesterday afternoon I'm sitting with my brother-in-law and his wife over in Danville and uh, you hear in the house a you know for a second and they said oh earthquake you know And uh, I said, I only count the ones I feel. (laughs) When they said, that was just a 3.2 earthquake centered over here in El Cerrito. Um, You know, one day you'll get an earthquake warning machine. Uh, It works good for the tornadoes. but So the job of the watchman is to call out a warning. And people don't mind warnings because they're there for your well-being. You know. Uh, how many times people have been to the doctors, and uh, you take the tests, and the doctor says, um, you know, uh, I have a warning for you. You know, your blood levels are too high, and you better do something serious about that. And most of us ignore it until there's like that first heart attack or a symbol of a stroke, and then all of a sudden, you know, we, uh, if we survive, we take it pretty serious. Um, you know, you would think it foolish to ignore a warning. When the doctor says those blood levels are high, you've got to do something about it. You know, the doctors have been after me for years saying, got to knock off some of that weight, got to get in shape. And, and you say, why haven't I done it? What is wrong with me? Um, it's just something, uh, till you actually see the danger or, or experience it, It's hard to take the danger serious. And look at Ezekiel's task. He's called to warn the people, wicked men, about their sins. That's kind of like uh, the doctor's warnings, isn't it? It's not like the missile warning that people clearly understand. You see a missile on a console, you you press a button, warning sounds go off in Israel, we go to our bomb shelters. That's a current reality in Israel. Um, The doctor's warning uh, is more subtle. You know, that your cholesterol level's high, uh, or this level's high, and um, if you don't get that down, you know, you're going to be having a stroke or a heart attack in the next couple of years. The doctor goes home, feels good, he did his job and uh, the patient goes home and it's in your hands Ezekiel here though is given a different kind of situation on the one hand he doesn't just give the warning that you're sinful and there's going to be consequence but Ezekiel as the prophet's ministry continues he also calls judgment upon the people so he had a double whammy Uh, for him he wasn't just supposed to say hey guys you're sinners and uh, something's going to happen later he goes on to actually tell them what's going to happen you know he brings the prophecies of judgment but he's called to tell the people that the problem the danger that's approaching them is the result of their sins And the consequence is going to be judgment. That is a hard message to bring to your people, to anyone. Now, Ezekiel was not on a literal uh, guard post. Because he's in exile in, in Babylon, the guard posts of Israel have already been torn down by judgment. So he's in a, it's a spiritual guard post, and he's being given a spiritual duty to call out to his people that their sins are going to bring judgment upon them. And Ezekiel, like the other prophets in the scriptures, were faithful to bring this hard message to the people of Israel they did not appreciate preaching judgment and destruction to their people it must have been very hard for Ezekiel to speak messages of more judgment upon a people who had just suffered judgment and been under the hand of judgment I mean you know would you have liked to go to uh, New Orleans uh, after the after the uh, the, the hurricane uh, Katrina, would you have liked to go back there a week later, um, and say um, more bad news, folks? Another hurricane is coming in 24 hours, um, and uh, you know whatever you have left is going to be destroyed. You know uh, how would you have liked that job, whether as the weatherman uh, or uh, whoever, preaching judgment upon a place that's just been judged? And the judgment here was so clear. It's your sins, the sins of the people, you, your sins and your unwillingness to repent is going to bring more judgment. Now this is doom and gloom. And what does this mean to us today? And, and what's the point of the message I'm trying to bring? Well, we too are called to be watchmen. And we are called to bring a message to our peoples that the wages of sins are death. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. But that God has laid upon the Messiah, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And he will bring salvation. We don't hear this uh, message too often these days. We don't hear and we don't see ourselves as those who are called to bring the message of judgment and of sin and of salvation to our people, to our family, to our friends, to our communities. And isn't it so unpopular to preach sin today? If you would dare open your mouth, you're called to be politically incorrect. As if the worst thing that you could do. Is be politically incorrect. One of the things I love about being in Israel. Is we don't have the term politically incorrect. Um, Everybody says and does what they feel like. And what's on their mind. Um, And so you know it's great. Except unless you're preaching the message of Jesus. In which case everybody agrees. That there's something wrong with that in Israel. But. I want us to take seriously this morning uh, our responsibilities because we have, as you search the scriptures and you see our calling, the same responsibility as Ezekiel had to speak to our people, our family, our friends, our community, that they are sinful and in need of salvation and I don't know how it works in God's accounting. But he certainly made it clear that Ezekiel would be accountable if he did not preach this message. And I'm sure somehow when we stand before the Lord, if we were not faithful to preach a message of judgment and of salvation, um, we will somehow be less before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, because he has appointed us to preach this message, and yet today, we as believers are so hesitant to preach the message of salvation. We're so hesitant to preach to people, to tell people that they are sinful and their ways are leading to death. And maybe it's the fear of being politically incorrect. But here I see God putting a heavier burden upon Ezekiel and the fear that the blood of those people will somehow be upon you. That's a heavier burden than just being politically incorrect or socially unacceptable. Are we willing to take up some of this socially unacceptableness? Are we willing to be politically incorrect for the sake of our neighbors and friends? It's a struggle. It's very hard for people, and I don't just speak to you in the congregation. You know, Many of you are faithful in preaching and that's why I'm here. That's why you love Jews for Jesus and other evangelistic ministries. Um, but I've been doing a lot of traveling the last few years around the world. And uh, in Europe and the Far East, uh, people do not like to preach the gospel. Uh, even in Israel, a lot of the believers don't want to preach the message of people are sinful and that you need salvation. Um, but yet we need to take our place on that guard post. You know, if you think of uh, one of these modern warriors sitting at their uh, computer screen monitoring systems and monitoring missile launchers, and if they say, oh, what am I wasting my time looking at these monitors? What, what warning do I have to give? Everything's been quiet for the last you know week, month, year. Uh, there's no threats. And uh, they shut off their monitor or they doze off. Uh, get too into reading their novel, and all of a sudden they miss um, a warning, and fa- they fail to bring the warning to, that they're supposed to. Uh, what would we think of those people? Uh, how would you feel that if uh, somebody watching a nuclear reactor here dozed off, they said, Hey, everything's been running fine for the last 30 years, why bother? And, and all of a sudden, you know, you're living downwind. Um, of a town that's just been devastated by uh, nuclear uh, waste. And the guard says, everything was quiet. I I didn't have anything to do the last 20 years. Um, You know, how will we feel if we are somehow held to account? And Ezekiel is saying that we are held into account for not sharing the message to our neighbors and friends and people. What would you say to them? If there is this... Hypothetic situation when we get to heaven and our neighbor stands there and says, Ephraim, why didn't you tell me I was a sinner? Why didn't you tell me I needed Jesus? And I say, well, I didn't want to offend you. Woes to me. And there will be people in heaven who will be saying that to me. Why didn't you tell me? Um... And uh, I should be more fearful, more concerned for their well-being. Now, don't make the mistake, you know, and we hear this as a phrase of, you know, God loves the sinner but hates the sin. And I think a lot of times we're too guilty about preaching about the sin, you know, types of sin, categories of sin. Uh, And, you know, we have our categories that certain sins are worse uh, than other sins. Um, that is not preaching. It's saying preaching to the person. Your heart, and I'm looking at the pillow. (laughs) Your heart (laughs) is not right with God. That's what we need to be doing. Too often we preach a gospel message that talks about being with peace with Jesus, having the healing, you know, the... um, the name it and claim it ministry is that if you love Jesus, you're going to get all the money you need. You're going to get all the healing you need. You're going to get all the good things in your life you need. Um, you know, the song of what a friend we have in Jesus, which is a great song. Again, not a great evangelistic message because we're not calling people to have a new friend because the answer is. And I've heard those people say, I've got plenty of friends. I don't want another one. Um, We're calling people to look at their hearts and know that they are not right with God, and that is sin. And the only remedy is Jesus. Why don't we preach with the same authority as our doctors preach to us when they tell us that something is wrong? Uh, Years ago, uh, when my my father was still alive, he went to the doctor one day. He had a pain in his leg, and the doctor told me he had a blood clot in his leg, and uh, that this blood clot could kill him if he doesn't go right away to the hospital. And I think the doctor knew the type of man my father was, you know, kind of a real old school working guy. You know, I've got work, I can't miss work. And besides, this is all medical mumbo jumbo. And my father said the doctor opened his desk drawer, pulled out a revolver, put the revolver on the desk, turned it to him and said, Ralph, if you don't take my advice, you may as well just pick up this gun and shoot yourself in the head. Uh, because that's what you're dealing with Um, you know that that was an old-school doctor (laughs) Um, talking to an old-school guy my father called my mother said "Hun, i I'm going to the hospital Um, and he went to the hospital and had that taken care of you know and I say you know good for that doctor who preached who preached it right you know when the doctors give us a warning You know, we we take it serious. When they say there's a tumor and you need to deal with it, we deal with it. But we don't feel as Christians that authority. But we need it. You know, as we bring the message to our people and all peoples. And, you know, I want to challenge us with this uh, message. Um, It does make a difference. We do need to speak to people as if they are sinners because they are. And it's not the particular sin that they're engaged in that's the problem. The problem is their heart has moved them away from God. Um, and remember that. You know, um, and the solution, fortunately for us, is so clear and so easy, and it is Jesus, the one who died for their sins. There's a lot of work to do. Driving around San Francisco and driving through the Bay Area this morning, it's still the same Bay Area that I was preaching the gospel at back in the 80s. There's still not churches on every corner. I still saw a lot of traffic on the highway, and I know they were not driving to church this morning. (laughs) Um, Your community hasn't gotten smaller. All the houses are still here. Maybe they're a lot more expensive. (laughs) But there's still a lot of people in this neighborhood, and I know they're not in church this morning. Uh, I know their hearts aren't right with God. There's still a lot of work to be done. Um, and I encourage you and challenge you to take it forth. Um, I want to show a little video clip now about some of the stuff we're doing in Israel. Because our staff in Jews for Jesus, uh, we're trying to take this message of, of Jesus and uh, to preach the gospel and of Ezekiel to be watchmen to our people. Uh, very seriously, Um, and we're doing a series of evangelistic campaigns, and we just completed uh, a three-week campaign in the Tel Aviv area um, that's not on this video, but the campaign we completed last year uh, is on it, and I want you to see that, and after the video, I'll just have a few concluding remarks, I want to just give you uh, some prayer pointers for how you can be praying for us, so if, it's already queued up.
1: Jews for Jesus has launched Behold Your God to reach out to the people of Israel. Who is Yeshua? He's one of the prophets. I don't know. Yeshua was a man. I have a doctor named Yeshua.
0: Yeshua is famous. He became a Christian. I never heard this before.
1: He's not God, but he's somebody in religion uh, through whom you can enter into higher spiritual state. But how will they hear unless someone is sent? You who bring good news.
0: Get up to the high mountain. Lift up your voice with strength. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God.
1: As the gospel goes out to Israeli Jews, religious, cultural, and political obstacles must be surmounted. Israel, a unique moment in time, ancient, modern, old, and young, side by side. Over 5.4 million Jewish people live in Israel today. Only one-tenth of one percent of them believe in Jesus. Cultural, religious obstacles. Spiritual practices of Israelis vary widely. Secular, traditional, mystical, and religious. New Age festivals have become well-attended events. Non-observant Jews seek fulfillment in Israel's rich tradition and leisurely activities. We don't like it. These people don't like what they do. A religious vocal minority who fiercely oppose the gospel lobby to see legislation passed making evangelism a crime. Zealous, but without knowledge of their Messiah. Israelis are seeking answers. Political hurdles. Arab Israeli conflict has spilled into civilian life. Daily life can be uncertain and risky. Random outbreaks of violence from despair, hatred, depression, and helplessness.
0: I really want to believe in peace. We tried
1: so many times and there's really, there's no hope. But how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Be alert. I'm about to do something brand new. Oh, God. God is doing something new. Jews for Jesus is on the move in Israel. Using literature, phone calls, radio, and personal conversations, billboards, street art, stickers, advertising on buses to proclaim Yeshua to Israel's Jewish communities. Send me a New Testament. Why aren't the Rabbi teaching? Maybe he can be the Messiah. That could make sense. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes. It is Join us. Behold your God, Israel. I mean, what's that? I mean, I want to believe. that Israel
0: That... We just finished the last week uh, another campaign in the uh, Tel Aviv area, the area called the Shvela, the coastal plains. And in that campaign, in three weeks, uh, over 800 Israelis gave us their names and addresses and wanted more information. Um, you know, our staff, our volunteers were faithful as watchmen to get out and to proclaim the message. But it was a tough campaign, um, one of the toughest I've been involved in. In as much as almost all of our people uh, got uh, beaten and uh, hit and attacked by religious Jewish people, Um, we faced uh, opposition from the uh, local authorities that kept trying to shut us down. You know, we were given uh, citations, violations, our literature was confiscated, we had some big banners, like a big banner on a three-story building that... uh, the city demanded that be taken down after it was up for less than six hours. So, you know, we, we need your prayers. You know, keep the prayer card. Those of you who aren't in regular prayer contact with Jeannie and I um, or reading the church updates that we send, you know, please uh, keep in touch. You know, we really uh, need your prayers. We're following up on the 800 people who requested literature. And uh, some of those people will be people who will say, will say to us, thank you for calling out the morning. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. Um, And those people, I hope when I get to be with the Lord, uh, that I'll see more of people saying, thank you for telling me. And my prayer and hope for you is that you'll have people come up to you when you're with the Lord that day who will say, thank you for telling me the way it is. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. Thank you for being, having, being a part of me getting to heaven. And we're going to take communion now. Um, and in a sense, this wasn't a communion message, but in a sense, it is a communion message. Because we're here because somebody told us about Jesus. Somebody told us our need for salvation. And we responded, whether it was as a child, from our parents, or a neighbor, or a friend. But we're here because somebody told us. And we're here Because Jesus Christ cared enough for our sins and enough for us that he came to die for our sins. And at communion, it's that point in our lives where we recognize that he cared to tell us we were sinners and he cared to come to bring us with the gift of salvation. May God bless this gift of salvation that we share together. Uh, in all of our lives. Thank you.